Hello and welcome back to another episode of Turn Over the Tape. My name is Keegan and as always I'm joined by my good friend Matthew, my co-host. How are you today, Matt? Pretty good. Pretty good. Excellent. Um, so we have officially come to the end of the AFL season. Uh, season finished on the weekend with the Demons 140 romping over the Bulldogs by 66 points. And we will probably we'll get into that game in a bit of depth. And then we might pick up on a little bit of Suns news sort of towards the end. But let's be honest, we're in a real interesting period, dead period at the moment where the season's finished and the trade period hasn't started yet. So we're sort of in about a week of sort of nothing really happening. Though if the AFL if the AFL had its own way, there'd be AFL news 365 days of the year. Um, and for some reason, trade radio started, which I found hilarious because no one can do trades for at least another week. So anyway... <laughs> Let's let's put that let's put that to the side. Let's sort of get stuck into sort of talking a bit about the grand final. Um, Matt, thoughts on the grand final? Sort of initial thoughts, really quickly. Uh, it was a strange game. The initial thought watching the whole game was every time there was a momentum swing, you thought it was decisive. Except there were like three major momentum swings throughout the yeah. game. That was my feeling. I just thought each time the team that was winning got ascendancy. I thought that was just going to be it. And it eventually became true. It just took a few more took turns few more before times. it came to that. Yeah, it was It was funny. Like, there were different times that I thought the game was over. So, after, like, when Melbourne kicked the first, was it, like, four or five goals or something like that? I was like, oh, this game's over. Melbourne are going to absolutely romp at home from here. And then the Bulldogs kicked, what, four or five unanswered, and then they got back in front, and they got about two or three goals ahead. And then I'm like... Oh, well, the dogs have turned it around. Melbourne has, Melbourne has stopped. Uh, the dog's going to walk away with it. And then sort of towards that end of that third quarter when Melbourne kicked four goals, and I think in about two minutes, um, that really sort of just, uh, that was the nail in the coffin. And then the dogs, even even after three-quarter time, when you think, oh, we've seen the dogs already turn over a 30-point deficit. Can they do it again? And then Melbourne just gone no and uh, decided to put the foot firmly through the floor and firmly through the throat of the dogs. And I think they kicked something like oh, 13 goals in the last quarter. They went in an absolute parade at the end. Well, I think that, well, I think the stat that they keep banding about is the fact that it was from the point that the doggies were up by 19 points in that third quarter for the rest of the game, it was something like a hundred points to seven. That was the yeah. number of points scored from then on. That's like a sun. It, that's like a sun's game. That, that deficit, 10, 100 points to seven, the Suns would do something like that. Doggies literally did what we did against the Lions in the last Q Clash. We were like, it felt like we were home and hosed at <laughs> halftime and then, oh boy. Yeah, they just, uh, they just went into, I don't know what happened to them. It, it's sort of hard because you can't really pinpoint it to an exact reason why the Dogs lost. I think... Like I, don't, I think up until that point in the third quarter, they were playing really well and then all of a sudden just stopped. I just don't think they managed to stem the flow once the centre clearances became a thing. I mean, they, they scored literally three goals in the last minute of that third quarter. They just couldn't lay a hand on Petrarca or Oliver um, or their second ruckman, whoever his name is, escapes me at the moment. Uh, Luke there Jackson. Was that, that, yeah, that period there where they were just basically... Only the D's touched the ball for whatever reason and they yeah. kept hitting marks or, or very, very dangerous spots inside 50 where, you know, Fritch managed to kick a couple and... Yeah. Um, 
and Ben Brown kicked one late as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure in that flurry. So yeah. I think it was just that period where they just they killed the game basically. Yeah, they put the game on ice pretty much at that point, and then sort of in the first few minutes of the last quarter, they put it beyond doubt. But in, in that in that period at the end of the third quarter, not that. Look, I'm not an AFL coach. I don't pretend to be an AFL coach, but surely you put a, a midfielder just standing behind behind your Ruckman. So you can't let them. So basically what Melbourne were doing, they were running out the front of the contest and basically is running straight towards their goal. I would have thought surely you put a you stand someone maybe five meters back and go, all right, your job is to stop anyone coming towards us or at least putting pressure on the ball going forward. And just I thought that that was a real obvious thing to do, but the dogs didn't really do it. They played man on man and the the men of the Melbourne Demons were better. Yeah, I mean, you you'd figure after the second centre clearance goal, you might want to stop the third. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 and all the fourth. Yeah, it sort of just didn't. They just didn't. They didn't stop it. And from there on, um, from there on, Melbourne just went on their merry way and put on an absolute procession in the last quarter. Um, the thing that the thing that does my head in keys is the fact that go back to that point where doggies up by nineteen points. Imagine they kick the next goal. Yeah. I know the D's won by 70-odd points, but there have to have been one of the closest 70-point games I've ever seen, yeah. really. Dogs could have won if they just kicked one or two more goals. They would have broken the D's and we would have been talking about the Dogs winning by 70 yeah. points. Gee, didn't they do it comfy? It's, fun- it's funny, though, when you go into that game. I feel like the do- like as much as, as much as a grand final is, the Dogs had, very, had nothing to lose. They were they weren't expect they'd finish fifth. No one expected them to get past the first week of finals. They thought SM would run over the top of them because they came in the dogs came to the finals losing three on the bounce, heading into elimination final against Essendon, who had absolutely walloped a few teams on the way through to, to finals. And no one expected anything of the dogs, and they won, and then they won again, and they won again. And it was because there's never losing a grand final is always going to feel bad. It's always going to have that sort of that feel bad factor to it. But they, as much as a free hit at the grand final as you're ever going to get, and Melbourne Melbourne were deserved winners and probably were the best team over the entire season. So you can't really take it away from them. But the dogs, I think for two and a half quarters, gave a very good account of themselves and almost put themselves in pole position, and then. I can pinpoint it almost to the point where Caleb Daniel threw Max Gorn over the boundary line <laughs> as when the D's decided to go, all right, we're not, we're not gonna we're gonna stop screwing around now. We're actually gonna do something. One of the funny, funnier comments I heard uh, over over the last day was Christian Petrarca being asked about that because that's obviously a fairly easy focal point for the game. And Christian Petrarca's answer is basically like to summarize. Gorn, just suck it up. I mean, look at him. Look at you. Just get yeah. up. <laughs> but you can't yeah. say that to your captain. Yeah, no, you can't. You can't say that to your captain. Yeah, it was. It was a bit soft by Gorn, but at the end of the day, he's on with a premiership medal. He's the one celebrating in a Perth nightclub on the on the shoulders of someone with a bottle of champagne in his hand. You can't can't take that away from him at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I do want to challenge just briefly the Western Bulldogs narrative, though. I. I Despite the fact they finished fifth, I think they were the second best oh. team this year, without a doubt. Yep. And the fact that they fell out of the top four still beggars belief, but they showed what they were actually all about during that final series. And 
they won in 2016 to going the long way and it, it it felt like that and i really can't shake the feeling that they were two two goals away in that third quarter from breaking the d's and winning so it, it feels like the margin doesn't really give a true account for how no it doesn't close this game could have swung the other way it it doesn't <sighs> And at the end of the day, like if you if you're like you think about, so what are the, the they lost by what seventy points, seventy six points or something at the end of the day? Mm-hmm. When you're about what thirty points down in the last quarter, and you know there's no chance of you getting back in the game, there's no next week. Like you're not yeah. you're not playing. There's no playing for pride or playing to sort of get yourself in the team for next week. So, of course, there's going to be a little bit of uh, a bit of complacency in the part of the Bulldogs where they're just like. Oh, look, all the work we've done, we've travelled, like they've travelled everywhere. They went from Tasmania to what? Tra- Tasmania to Brisbane to Adelaide to Perth. They went yeah. They went the long way, like the long way to get around. And part of me is like, well, at, like when you're 30 points down the last quarter and you know you're not going to win and you've done all this travel and you're, and you're absolutely smashed, like, you can't really blame them at the end of the day for sort of maybe letting the, letting their standards slide a little bit towards the end of the game. Yeah, and the fact of the matter is, is that if they were up by five goals at three-quarter time, they would have had the freshest legs of anyone oh, at the stadium, 100%, 100%. right? 100%. So, yeah, uh, you, you ignore the fourth quarter. The game got killed by that seven-goal blitz back yeah. into the third, and that's, yeah. that's the tail of the tape. And then, yeah, and then you've got... Uh, Fritch kicking six goals for the first time in something like 20 odd years. Uh, good effort. Um, I, it wasn't a, it wasn't a commanding six goals. He took a couple of half decent marks. Uh, he positioned himself well enough. It, it was a little bit innocuous. Yeah. I like that's the, that's the feeling. I, I know what you're sort of, you're, you're, you're saying he didn't, it wasn't like a big and bright performance. He, he happened the, to be in the right spot. Yeah, he didn't grab the game by the, at the back. He didn't grab the game by yeah. the scruff of the neck and drag him across the line. That yep. was that, that. was the heavy lifting was done by the midfield, and most notably was the Petraka, who was the Norm Smith medalist. Um, absolute, he had an absolute monster game. I don't know yeah. if he's. Ever- I mean, the the goals that come to mind are the ones that were kicked at the most pivotal point. I think. You know, he kicked six, but, you know, um, Angus Brayshaw kicked that goal oh, 40 out on a, a harsh yeah. angle, taking that that backwards dive. Yeah. Um, that was a far more influential moment and something easier to put your hat on. Um, if he'd kicked six, you'd be talking about it for years. Yeah. But Fritsch sort of just kicked six. And, like, it's kicking six in a grand final. It very rarely happens. Like, yes, it hasn't happened for 20-odd years, but... Yeah, it just didn't feel like it was a commanding performance. He was still played well, played very well, but like I don't think he was at the level of the Petrakas and the Clayton Olivers as far as influence on the contest goes. No, Petraka was definitely best on comfortably, yeah. I thought. I even thought like, yeah, easily best on. I don't know if he'll ever be as good as Dusty, but he had a very Dusty-like game as far as that grand final, like what... Martin's done in sort of grand finals previous. He's got three Norm Smith medals to show for it. He's had ridiculous grand finals and that game that Petraka played was very Dustin Martin-like. See, for mine, I also thought Bontempelli was threatening to have yes. that sort of game. He kicked that third goal and it just felt like everything was going to fall in place for him. He was commanding. Yeah. He was putting it between the sticks right when the team needed it. 
you know, midway through the third, I thought he had stitched up best on. Yeah, so did I. I was um I I thought that if the dogs ended up winning, Bottom Pelly probably gets the Norm Smith because he just put in a mountain of work, kicked kicked some very, very important goals. Like a very different player to Petraka. Petraka is very much a contested animal that will grab it and burst out of a pack, whereas Bontempelli is sort of more of your he get it on the outside. He'll he'll kick it long. He'll also go forward and take some pretty big grabs as well when you need and kick a goal for you as well. So the funny thing about that was I looked, I saw the Norm Smith medal. Uh, I don't think Bontempelli got a single vote. Matt, the only Bulldogs player that got a vote was Cale Daniel. Yeah. I thought Bontempelli was at least worth a vote somewhere along the line. Like, I understand you lost, you lost by 70-odd points, so he's never going to win it, and I wasn't going to not advocating for him to win it, but I feel like you've got to give some sort of recognition. I also thought Caleb Daniel had a very good game as well. But, um, but yeah, that's it, and that's, that's the season for the year. The Melbourne Demons are the premiers. Uh, quick, Matt, sort of question without notice. What do you think of the season overall? It doesn't have to be from a Suns lens, just an overall football lens. What do you think of the season overall? This season was probably one of the more competitive seasons across the whole 18 teams that I've seen in the AFL in quite a while. Yeah. I'm, I'm originally am an NRL supporter, and normally you have that level of evenness across the competition, usually in that comp. And then in the AFL, you have the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. But Dee's lost to Adelaide and Collingwood this year and Drew with Hawthorne, Hawthorne from yeah. memory. So the, the team that ends up winning the comp basically had horror shows against bottom four outings and still were able to win the comp. The team, the other team came fifth despite the fact that they were just dominant across large patches of the year. And there was a huge fight for the eight. Like I haven't seen in the AFL for quite a while. There are actually yeah. multiple vacancies up for grabs. Yeah. So that's that's the feeling I have. It was an even comp. It felt way more even than it usually does. Yeah, 100%. I was going to say, yeah, there's a lot. There was a um, the gap between 1st and 18th was a lot smaller than it has been in, in previous seasons. So you think about the 18th team, North Melbourne. Do you think North Melbourne had an awful year? No, well, they, they had a, a rough start and people were talking yeah. about them as is if there, they were oh, worse me, than expansion. Let me rephrase. Is are you is there hope for North Melbourne going forward? Were they abjectly oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think David Noble's done an awesome job in the in the 12 months that he's been there. North Melbourne would be optimistic and buoyant about their prospects in yeah. three years' time, I'd 100%. say. 100%. Did you only have to go as far as even even, even a look at us? What do we have? Seven wins. We had we had a few good wins. We beat beat GWS, who were a finalist. Beat Sydney, who were a finalist. Um, beat Richmond, beat who Richmond, were at the time in the eight. In the eight at the time. So it, show, it goes to show that there are that it was a very even competition this year, and it probably probably stems to reason that the, that fight for the eight was probably. I don't know if that was uh, the product of all these teams that are around eight playing well or basically no one wanting to finish eight, so everyone was losing in opportune times. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was a good, I think it was a good even season, and I actually have to sort of almost doff my cap to the AFL just to get the season finished. With the amount of borders, closures they've had to worry about, amount of people they've had to move around, sort of like almost like chess pieces on a chessboard sort of get them in the right position sort of finish off the season um, 
yeah, it's a it's a managerial, absolute mammoth managerial effort. I guess my uh, return unprompted question to you, Keeks, is the rule changes at the beginning of the year have now had an entire season to marinate. Yeah. How do they sit with you now? I don't know. So the one that I'm sort of focusing on the top of my head is the man on the mark. Well, like the sub rule, I've sort yep. of a bit, ad- I don't really care. The sub yep. rule is the sub rule. The man on the mark rule, it still looks silly. Like it still looks silly, especially if when players are shooting for goal and you've got your guy standing on the mark and he can't, and the guy's shooting for goals, basically running, almost running around him. And then, oops, sorry. Um, you can probably hear that. Uh, let me move that over here. <laughs> Um, so we, um, so yeah, sorry, just to lost my train of thought. Um, so yeah, I think it still looks silly. Um, I like the idea. I like the thinking behind it for sure. Um, I still think there's definitely room for improvement though. I don't know if it's a, the thing that for me it would be, it'd be calling play on a lot quicker. So the man on the mark isn't sort of stuck standing still longer than he should be. So if if the player shooting for goal, for instance, starts arcing out to the right, as soon as he's sort of out of line with the man on the mark, then it has to be play on straight away. I'd like to see a slightly more relaxed interpretation of what it means to be on the mark. Yeah. Uh, there was a moment in the granny where it felt, I think Cozzy Pickett was the man on the mark and I think he did... I mean, in a regular season game, it was probably 50, but you're not going to pay it in such a high-pressure circumstance. Yeah. I'd like to see them be able to move a tiny bit and maybe not be so draconian on what it is to move or not move. The the only issue with that is you open it up for grey area at that point and... And let's be honest, AFL is already bloody hard to umpire as it is. I would not want to be. I've umpired like amateurs games before and it's hard as. And I don't, I don't want, I wouldn't want an umpire, I wouldn't want to be, um, want it to be any, any more difficult than it already is. Like I understand the, problem, the, the yeah. issue, the easy thing about stand still is you either stand still or you're not standing still. It's very much a, like, it's very easy to judge if someone's standing still or not. You would think so, but yeah. then that that moment in the granny comes to mind. I'm like, well, then that should be a 50-metre penalty. Is that when Cosy Pickett jumped up in the air? I think so. I think that's the one that comes to mind, yes. But he was on, like, the the far side flank yeah. in, uh, yeah, on the mark. And I don't know. It, it, it looked to me like he, he was... He'd, Moving it out. He'd, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know how they'd change that, by the way. Like, I don't know if, if they were to introduce to not make it so draconian. I don't know what steps that would take to make it less draconian. It's it's tricky. It's tricky. Um, but I understand why they did that. I like the thinking behind it to open up the game a bit more, but I don't know if they've implemented it 100% correctly, if that makes it's a very It's a very democratic answer. It's a very uh, political answer, that, but that's just how I feel. Yeah, I think the rule has legs. It just needs tweaks. Yeah, 100%. Uh, all right, so that will leave the grand final there. Any other final thoughts on the grand final? Um, I'm disappointed Stephen May has another has a premiership medal. I'll just throw that throw that out there. Uh, thoughts? I mean, you can just go through the rolodex of players that are now premiership players and just just laugh to yourself. Ben Brown is a premiership player. Yeah, Jake he, Lever. 
Oh, it's Jake Lee was a funny one because basically when he left the Crows at the time, there's a quote from Tex Walker who, who that won't age well, um, basically <laughs> saying that, um, oh, Lee is leaving for money. Not he, he could have success with us, but he's leaving for money instead. And now he's yeah, got I'll a just... premier, he's got a premiership medal around his neck, and those Crows players have a, a training camp in the mountain, in the Gold Coast hinterland around their neck. So I don't know. I think I think you have to say he made the right choice. Just throw that into the pile of things that Texas said that won't age well. Yes, no, I agree. Um, yeah, we'll leave it there for the grand final. Oh, yeah, sorry. What did you think of it in Perth? I liked it. Optus Stadium is an awesome stadium. It's, it, it, in my mind, is the second best stadium in the country for yep. AFL. Absolutely. Yeah. I think so as well. Um, yeah, great. And the night grand final, thoughts? Fan, not fan? Uh, I mean, well, because I, I've originally come from league and that's all you had, it, it I never was built into the tradition of having it at 2.30 in the afternoon. So yep. I'm, I can do away with it a lot easier and, yeah, I don't really have a problem with it. But I, I, I get why people might be upset. Fair enough. I'm sort of, doesn't really bother me. Like usually most, like, it's a bit of a special case at the moment. Like I'm in lockdown in Melbourne. I can't go do anything to fill in my day. So I have to put on some very, very awful pregame uh, banter from awful pundits that have no idea what they're talking about. Um, but Unlike us. Unlike us. We're very well educated on this podcast. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Look. I I I could I could take either. I actually like to see them try a Twilight one that maybe starts at five o'clock. That would mm. be interest. That would interest me to see how it goes. But then you got the traditionalists that wanted it at the MCG on two thirty on the last Saturday in September from now until the end of time. So who knows? Who knows? I liked I liked Optus Stadium. I don't buy into the rhetoric that the MCG is the greatest stadium that ever existed, as <laughs> as some people in Melbourne think. That's the case. I actually don't. I actually think it's it's a good stadium. I don't think it's a great stadium, but that's just my my point of view. I don't mind if they move it around every couple of years. Makes it a bit different. I like to see Adelaide have a go because I think Adelaide Oval mm. is great. So yeah, agreed. So yeah, I think that's our. I think we've done the grand final to death now. I don't think there's too much more we need to we need to tick off. Um, before we sort of wrap up the podcast, because there isn't a lot in the way of Suns news, there's a couple of little nuggets that we might quickly throw out there. The first being, we get to keep pick nineteen, Matt. Were you even aware that we could lose pick nineteen? Uh, I heard it was in the works that the AFL basically had to decide what we were doing with it and whether we could trade it or, or what rules and stipulations they put around it. We are shackles off, baby. We can we, do whatever the hell we like with it. Uh, and they'll be and they'll be to give it away in an awful trade for a future pick, no doubt. That's the optimism I like. Kids. Yeah, I know. We tra- we'll trade it for like not. We'll trade nineteen and twenty two for like pick eighteen next year or something like that. Because <laughs> you know that's what we do. Um, yeah, it doesn't really matter. I I was under the assumption we finished third last. I was under the assumption we'd get it. I didn't think there was ever going to be a chance we were going to lose it. Um, so second, so second little bit of news. There's a few little bits rolling around. Is um, that we've also now don't have to this year again. We don't have to bid on our academy players. We can just welcome them through the door. That's good. Yeah, make it easier. 
make it easy. I don't know if there's anyone good in the academy this year. There probably is. And Suns diehards that are probably listening to this, we you know who you are. Uh, we um, will probably be yelling at me through the pod through the podcast sphere, but it's it's handy. We don't we we can save draft picks. We can trade them on for players, or we can, as I said, just mentioned before, future trade them for awful mm. awful picks in the future. So um, yeah, yeah. So oh, and the third little bit of news was. So the news around um, our third pick. So at the moment we have pick three in the draft. It goes North Melbourne, then GWS, because they have Collingwood's first pick, which is hilarious. I really wish, I really wish Collingwood finished last. So GWS would have had the first pick. Not because I want <laughs> GWS to do well, just because it would have been the absolute flavor of Collingwood giving away pick one would have been delicious. But they've got pick two. Mm. Um, and then we've got pick three. Uh, there is talk, um, especially around in Melbourne, that the Suns are looking to trade that third pick for maybe two later picks and split it into like two later picks in the draft, whether it's like a pick three for seven and 15 or something as an example, something like that as an example. What do you think? Do you think we should just sort of just keep pick three or do you think it would be wise to maybe split it up a little bit? It really depends on what trades have got going on behind the scenes and what sort of currency they need to get them lubricated. I I feel like we have the nuts and bolts of a half-decent team in terms of the talent. We actually need to bring in people into the team that are able to offer experience and wisdom to the younger players. So splitting pick three, in my mind, is kind of like, you know, going to the corner store with a 50 and getting it split into two 20s and a 10. You'll be able to actually use it in a lot of different ways and hopefully that's to bring in experienced talent. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much experienced talent we're bringing in this year, only because I know our list is very inflexible because we pretty much everyone's contracted. So unless we're trading people out. Um, but I like the idea of sort of filling two roles and, and pick seven and pick 15 are still good picks. They're not pick yeah. three. They're not probably going to be a superstar, but I don't think we need any more young guns that are like top of the draft. I think we need some players that are going to fill roles. Um, yeah. So, or, and we could end up trading, maybe it'd be something like maybe trading it for pick 10 in a future first round pick and maybe sort of splitting it out over time. So there's a few different options. I'm not, I'm not wedded to pick three. Like some people are, some people are like adamant, keep pick three, don't trade it. I'm not wedded to it. If, the right option comes along, um, then I'm happy to happy to look at all options on the table. Yeah, agreed. Easy as. Um, and I think that might bring us to the end of this week's episode of Turn Over the Tape, a bit of a quieter episode. Hopefully next Monday we might have a few different things. Uh, free agency period starts Friday, so we should have a few. And by then I think trade period starts Monday as well. So hopefully by then we will have very little to talk about because the Suns are not doing anything this trade period. I think Chol, I think Chol is probably the only person we're going to bring in. Maybe Luke Dunstan if we're lucky. That'd be nice. <laughs> so I think it's going to be a very quiet period for the Suns. Um, I think more it's going to be more focused on outgoings and incomings, which is fair enough. Um, yeah. So we'll leave it there. Uh, Matt, as always, thank you for joining me. Yeah, no problem. And thank you out there for listening to this episode of Turn Over the Tape. We will catch you next Monday. Bye-bye.